This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler, but that's not important. This week, the week before Christmas, the students are all tucked into their beds with visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. But we are fortunate to have. Med student Aline Sanduk. She's Hi. actually MSTP. Yep. Uh, medical sci- medical scientist training program for the uninitiated. We also have Paul Krikowski, who's a PA. We don't get PAs. That's true. Joining us, I am super excited to have a PA join us for the show. Paul, welcome. Thanks. Nice to be here. Uh, but that's only two, and mm-hmm. I thought we've got five total microphones. That leaves two left over, and I thought, well, let's do something weird. Let's invite two members of the Office of Student Affairs and Curriculum staff to join us. So we are fortunate to have today Kate McKenzie. Hello. Yes. You've got how this whole podcasting thing works. You just figured it out. And Chris Rowling from Financial Services. Great to be here. I forgot to mention Kate's from uh, Admissions, right? Correct. Uh, Kate's Admissions Enrollment and Something Coordinator. Yep, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Including the something. Yep, that's what we call it, the something coordinator, specifically. And and Chris, you primarily work with med students on things like financial aid and what else? Uh, We do a lot of financial literacy workshops, budgeting workshops, credit scores, Mm -hmm. things like that. We just recently did an identity theft one that was pretty interesting. Why is that? Why do med students need that? I would love for someone to steal my identity because I have a lot of debt. <laughs> anyone out there is interested, just let me know. Just kidding. Well, I think that's <laughs> part of the reason why financial workshops and things like that or financial literacy is necessary for a bit. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to have you on the show. You're honored to be here. That's totally cool. You know, guys, it's been a while um, since we've asked someone on staff of OSAC to be on the show for no particular reason. So I thought I'd take this opportunity to ask you, for our listeners, what are the things, we'll start with you, Chris. Are there are there things that you see med students coming in and making mistakes or things that they that you'd like them to know about the financial world that they are about to enter? I wouldn't call them mistakes, maybe just not as prepared, but you know, make a budget, know what you have to live on so that you don't get uh, in financial trouble later. Uh, you know, finances are very stressful, especially when you don't have any, um, you know, and that, you know, you're not going to want other stresses while you're studying. Believe me, you'll have enough stresses in med school with out finances being one of them. So, you know, there's lots of apps out there, you know, people can help you set up a budget, but basically find out how much you have to live on, uh, make a plan, try your best to stick to it. I mean, it's a budget. Some months you're going to hit it, some months you're not, but, uh, but to have an idea. Yeah, have a good idea. And, you know, if you can, return some of that money so you're not paying as much back with interest later. So, And don't, uh, maybe don't spend your student loans on beer. Well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Only a little. Only a little. Okay, there we go. To keep yourself sane. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Kate? Have you noticed any, if you were to, if you were to have, like, access to the people who you work with, you know, that you could say, hey, don't do this. Or, hey, think about this. What would you say? So things to think about would be, um, so on your application, you're able to list your experiences. And on the first three, you're able to say why it's meaningful. And so I would give advice to any prospective student that I talk to saying to really go in depth with why this is meaningful. And that is your time to shine and through those three experiences that we should understand there, like why medicine, why you're wanting to be a doctor through these three top three experiences, or just to really show your personality through those. So if one of your top experiences 
is that you're president of your taekwondo club at your school. Why is that meaningful through there? So talking about the leadership that you learned or gleaned from that experience. So saying I'm president of my taekwondo club, full stop, not necessarily showcasing who you are, why, right. that's, why mm-hmm. that's relevant to your application. You want them to yeah. go into further detail. Why is that meaningful to you? Uh-huh. Why, are you? why should we know? Why are you putting this on your application? Let's say that you have an applicant who, you know, maybe do, it maybe isn't as, uh, maybe doesn't, isn't, hasn't been the president of their taekwondo club or have a whole bunch of activities, but they do have some. Would you say that they should be careful what kinds of activities to include? Or would you say that any activity can be helpful to their application if it, it if they can demonstrate that it contributed in some way to who they are and, and why they want to be uh, a student. So that's kind of a gray area. I wouldn't say it's like black and white. So you're able to list up to 15 activities. Um, and we like to see mainly um, at like post high school. So from college and beyond um, is something uh, that doesn't mean like high school, you shouldn't include it, but if you know, eight of the 15 are from high school you know we want to see who dave is 2017 we don't want to see what dave was 2007. nobody knows mm. who wants to know no nobody wants to know no <laughs> that was before facebook so no one knows no one yeah, knows. No. <laughs> um so we like to see the more recent ones what people have been involved with um in and like how they've been engaged or you know what they do with their time um but it's, you know, if something, it doesn't, the top three don't need to necessarily be healthcare related. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. <laughs> you put that much better than I did. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't necessarily be healthcare related. You know, if you um, did ballet uh, for, you know. And say, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm very obviously physically graceful person. Uh, if you did, you know, ballet for 18 years of your life and, you know, you've overcome, you know, like, you know, broken toes or, you know, placed in like lots of competitions, you know, mm-hmm. talk about that and like how all this hard work it, that you put towards it and how you can transfer your hardworking skills to med school. So a lot of times, um, not lots of times, but you know, we'll have the occasional, you know, D1 athlete. So, you know, you want to put that in your top three because that was a big part of your collegiate career. Mm-hmm. I have a question. What is the least ambitious activity that someone <laughs> has sold you on? Like, has, that, has anyone ever like put as one of their activities like bagging groceries, but then made that meaningful in their application somehow? Hmm. I figured this might be putting you on the spot, but I was yeah. kind of curious if anyone was like, well, I went to a park once and it changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is there something like that that you can think of? Um, I think ones that are common that we, that not necessarily you would think are like what you should put on a med, like our med school application would just be like being like a waiter. Like, you know, I was I bust tables or I was a waiter for 30 hours a week while full-time student and like was still able like so if somebody doesn't have like a 4.0 but you know they have a 3.5 but they also had to pay their way through college um, and we're working the 30 hours that kind of plays into effect so a little bit we're not like necessarily bagging groceries but just that's how um, we really emphasize to our prospective students that would do a holistic review um, so, you know, you can have a 4.0 and, you know, near perfect MCAT, but what did you do outside of studying? You know, we want, um, people, um, that are diverse, you know, if you, we, we do lots of sports, um, analogies to help with our prospective students. And if we recruited all the same types of students, that would be like having, you know, 25 quarterbacks, like how is that helpful for your football team? Totally. Good one. That's a, see, you were worried that you wouldn't have anything to <laughs> that say. That was fabulous. You said a whole bunch of things. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> there. Um, well, I'm glad that you guys are here today. I hope that uh, you will um, uh, enjoy your time here today. And maybe the next time I ask you to be on the show, you won't be as reluctant as you were this time. <laughs>
Well, let's just get into some news. Uh, everyone knows, guys, that you make a flu vaccine by taking a virus, you let it multiply in chicken eggs, you extract it, and then you inactivate it so that it can be injected, or used to be you could snort it, but I think the CDC is not recommending <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, you had the mist. That's not the accepted That's, they just route of administration. Not, yes. Well, there's also a mirror shortage, so there's nowhere to Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard to chop up there's viruses a, with a with yeah. a razor blade. Yeah, there's a, there's a shortage of dollar bills that you can roll into <laughs> right. a, yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, to so you do this to prevent the flu, but uh, there is another way that's being created right here in Iowa, and I and you know, the promise is there to um, eliminate some of the problems with today's flu vaccine. So here's how it works. Researchers at Iowa State's new Nano Vaccine Institute are synthesizing influenza proteins, influenza proteins, not influenza proteins, but influenza proteins, mm -hmm. and putting them into nanoparticles made of biodegradable polymers. So since they're not putting them in chicken eggs, uh, it makes them easier and faster to make. They can be quickly changed to account for new strains. They can be mm -hmm. stored at room temperatures. Um, these are all sort of problems that the current flu vaccine has. I mean, we've, I think many of us have had the experience where we get the vaccine and we're like, well, I got the flu anyway, or that didn't work. Or, you know, the flu is only, the flu vaccine is only, you know, 30% effective this year. And that kind of sucks. Sure. The uh, particles are super small. Um, and in animal studies, they activate both B cells and T cells. Today's vaccines only activate B cells. No idea what that sentence means. Can you uh, guys explain this to me? Paul? I think that B cells and T cells are the difference between um, your sort of instant immunity that you would have to any sort of foreign object and your learned or adaptive immunity. But mm -hmm. we don't really get into immunology until I think February. So I'm going to defer to my colleague, <laughs> Aileen. Yes. It's my time to chime in. <laughs> um, all right, so B cells and T cells are the two cells that make up your adaptive immune system. And antibodies um, are sort of your ideal generated component in response to a vaccine. But if you can also generate memory T cells, which basically coordinate the adaptive immune system, that's better. But antibodies are pretty good for the vast majority of diseases that you're trying to combat. Okay. Um, and so that's the gold standard. But if you can activate both B cells and T cells, and so I'm assuming that what they're putting in to these vaccines are like protein antigens. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are proteins from that the viruses would uh, encode for, I guess, or the proteins in the viruses yeah. that the immune system can then recognize. And I mean, yeah. that's the way it's supposed to work in general. But with this dual activation system, it should be that much better. Yeah. So T cells can only respond to proteins. B cells can respond to proteins, lipids, nucleic acids, like any foreign looking oh, okay. object. But T cells have to get their antigen in the form of protein presented on like a special little basket called an MHC molecule. Mm -hmm. So so that's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Uh, still lots of work to be done on this. Uh, researchers are trying to make sure it can be used against all kinds of influenza. Um, whether it's you know bird yeah. flu or uh, you know uh, regular influenza that people get every year, you know that sort of thing. Well, the other thing that um, maybe they mentioned in this article is that a lot of people can't get the flu vaccine because it's grown in eggs. Yeah. Right. If, oh yes. If you also, have an egg allergy. Right. Yep. Yeah. I can't get the influenza vaccine because it's associated with Guillain-Barre. We've talked about this on the show before, which I've had. So, um, uh, so yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming that that might even help with that yeah um, it also takes a really long like that's why like the cdc has to survey kind of the strains that are coming up in the spring or i'm, I'm not sure the timeline but basically it takes a long time to grow the virus that yeah. way and that's why like when we start giving people shots sometimes like the predictions that they made weren't so accurate but there's not enough time to make a different vaccine and yeah. so yeah so that's why some years it hurts more than others so or you, you <laughs> or you just have a very poor uh, uh poorly skilled person in shot giver well the cdc will usually create or cause to be created a vaccine against the two or three the basket of the two or three top strains they think are going to be a problem that fall but they could still miss the mark mm -hmm. so totally yeah. um so yeah the um there will be 
so far this is working out pretty well in um, the usual uh, laboratory animals. Uh, there still remains to be um, monkey trials done, which will confirm, hopefully, that uh, these can work in humans. Um, last June, the Iowa Board of Regents approved creating the Nano Vaccine Institute on the uh, Iowa State campus. Anybody uh, from Iowa State here? Nope. It's a fantastic institution. I'm certain it is. Yeah. It includes 70 researchers tw from 21 different institutions. Um, and they're also studying things like nanotherapies for neural disorders, respiratory infections, cancer, veterinary diseases, tropical diseases. So um, I, who knows? Iowa could be the center of this incredible innovation in, um, in uh, therapy. That's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to convince people to get their flu shots surprisingly year to year because sometimes, like um, Kate was saying, you get the shot and then it hurts and that really turns people off or they get it and then they get sick and that really turns them off to it. So or they get it and they have an, uh, symptoms of an immune reaction. They don't get they don't necessarily get the flu, but they get symptoms of the immune from the immune reaction that they're supposed to have. Yeah. And that makes them think, well, this was a waste of time or yeah. you know, I don't still like get, it. Or... You'll get a little sick, but like the flu is deadly. Like people go to the hospital with the flu. Yeah. And if you've never had the flu, then you can't necessarily appreciate like how easy you had it with the, like the vaccine related mm. illness. So yeah, the, the cost benefit is so extraordinary that I, I can't imagine not getting the, the vaccine myself, but I could see where people might argue against it. Mm. Uh, well, as uh, someone who, you know, is it's contraindicated. I always appreciate people who who can and do get the flu vaccine because it's nice for me. I get to participate in the immunity that you guys <laughs> who get the flu vaccine. That's right. Yes. Herd immunity. Mm. Yes. That's right. I think Carver College basically mandated that all of the M1s and PA1s got, get vaccinated unless there was some extraordinary reason not to. Yeah. Staff and other folks. Yeah. Staff also are at least supposed to decline um, getting mm -hmm. the vaccine. I, I have to go every year, even though I have declined before for medical reasons. I have to go every year and say, yeah, I can't. Oh, they don't register that in the no, system. No, no, you have to go every single year to, uh, to decline it. Um, I don't think you have to have a good reason to decline, though. I don't get that sense. I think you could just go in and say no. No, no thanks. Ah, no thanks. <laughs> no I thanks wanna... to modern medicine That's that is right. like the least invasive and most effective thing that we could possibly offer you. No, no <laughs> I don't. We're good. I don't need it. I'm just going to hide. And so they make it really easy here for students and staff where they just set up stations out yeah. like all over and often, which is very helpful, which maybe they should do for like other colleges to like help with like the rest of the university yes. getting it because I came over from the College of Business and we didn't have that. And so then it's like, oh, you have to take off work right. or like, you know, just make an appointment or. That's huge. That's I a really good point. I think you should suggest that, Kate. Put that in the suggestion box. Where I, I is this know. suggestion box located? <laughs> email the, email. I'll uh, email. The president. President Harold. Harold. Immediately, you know, or Brooks, the new. Yeah, well, um, I mean, he's healthcare though, so I don't know. Oh, well, true. You can. Yep. Go for it. I would say he'd be you know, more responsive might, to that yeah. feedback. I'll CC him on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good idea. Har har. <laughs> CCs. Um, let's move on to the next story. The body of evidence linking the gut to the brain is growing. I'm particularly fascinated by this, um, the, by these stories. Lately, we've been getting more information on this connection between your uh, intestinal and your, your gut micro, uh, flora, microflora, is that the right word? Am I using the right? Uh, flora? It's micro or... and it's flora. Mi microbiome is microbiome? the general term, yeah, that's, I think. Okay. Or microbiota. It's, Mi it's really a mixed bag of combinations of terms. Uh, well, let's say the gut microbiome seems to play a role in several diseases um, that we're learning more about from obesity to autism, there's lots of work to be done here, but new research in Nature recently shows how one affliction, cerebral cavernous malformations, basically uh, venous aneurysms in the brain, can leak and uh, they may be caused by gram-negative bacteria in the gut. Um, mm -hmm. How they figured out how they figured this out is one of those science stories in which uh, chance favors the prepared mind, right? It wasn't they didn't they didn't have sort of this suspicion that this was true. An accident happened 
and they were like, oh, that's interesting. So here's how it worked. Um, in, so as background, in humans, it can be caused by a mutation. Though not always. There's not always a, a seems not always to be a reason why um, people have this problem. And most people don't even know they have the malformations until they get an MRI. Maybe they, you know, fell down and hit their head and they get an MRI and they're like, oh, there's a, there are these problems. Um, in mice, it can be mimicked by deleting certain genes. Um, I think there are three. So that's what the team had been doing to study this disease. They'd been knocking out these genes in mice, watching these um, malformations form. And then, um, but then they moved into a new building and the mice they were studying stopped developing the malformations. Unless they also developed an infection from the injection site of the drug used to delete the genes. So that was kind of an aha moment. They traced the difference to a gram-negative bacteria that had certain lipopolysaccharides. I'm so proud that I pronounced that right. That was fabulous. Thank that you. Was really done. good. I don't pronounce medical words well. That was great. <laughs> um, lipopolysaccharides in its cell walls that signaled the veins in the brain to form the bubbles. And researchers went, yay, Eureka. We, and so they reasoned that if you have the mutation and you have the bacteria, you develop cerebral cavernous malformations. Hmm. To further confirm that, they uh, replaced those sick mice's microbiomes with different bacteria, um, using little tiny fecal transplants, I imagine. Yeah, they probably Very wiped them tiny. out. Yeah. <laughs> pellets, really, yeah. of, of feces. And the malformations stopped forming again, um, mm. which opens up uh, preventative treatment options for this disease, things like uh, antibiotics or even fecal transplants. Um, even in newborns who are born susceptible to um, to this problem, I know. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's Sorry, laughing. I'm uh, just chuckling about the this whole idea of uh, we were told that about fecal transplants a lot this semester, and the barrier seems to be uh, dosing and and how do you get this into the form of a yeah. pill, which I don't think I mean is actually the uh, is the most palatable, if you'll forgive the pun, uh, way to handle things. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a problem. I'll tell you what, if if I knew, for instance, that that a fecal transplant would fix whatever issue I'd have, I'd be I'd be like I'd sign up. Yeah, I mean, I maybe I have a higher threshold of like ew than other people do, but I can definitely see how I mean, it's not like, you know, you take a spoonful of poop and that's how it works. Right. I mean, you, there are other <laughs> there are other methods of introduction yeah um, i don't even think it needs to be in like put in from the other end i think you can take like can I, you i'm not familiar with the with like the the state of the art but my understanding is that it's it's typically an enema that they give right oh okay like I, i've also heard of like freeze-dried uh capsule kind of mm -hmm. arrangement like a suppository yeah yeah um i mean there's no it's probably a cultural thing that people would rather take a pill than sort of the other form of administration, <laughs> but it seems to me like it's more effective to just mimic the natural. It probably should route. get as close to the site as possible where it's yeah. going to do the most good. Don't you think, Chris? I agree. <laughs> Chris, like, why am I here? <laughs> I'm learning a lot, though. Are you? Yes, I am. Okay. Oh, boy. That's pretty cool. What do you think, mm -hmm. Kate? Are you ready for the brave new world of fecal transplants? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's hard if, to say. What would be, if you could... <laughs> oh, poor Kate. You Never got mind. singled out by Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to bring you into the conversation. What's your background, Kate? Journalism. Not science. Not, <laughs> Not science at all? Not science whatsoever. What about you, Chris? Were you always a financial services... I was not. I was actually a band director for 11 years before I switched completely. Why the hell did we hire yeah, you? No <laughs> what special expertise do you have? <laughs> because math is math is music, obviously. It's true. Yes. It's true. There's a music to the math, right? Yep. Let's go with that. There honestly is. So. <laughs> um, you're probably familiar with the news story this past couple of weeks that the CDC was banned from using certain words, listeners. Mm -hmm. Were you familiar with that, Kate? I wasn't. What words? Were you familiar with it? I was not, so I'm very curious. So those words are vulnerable entitlement, diversity, transgender, fetus, evidence-based, and science-based. How does that strike you? 
dumb with amazement is a good start. Yeah. Those are not the words I was anticipating. <laughs> you're, you're going with the, the, the seven <laughs> words that you're not supposed to use in broadcasting as popularized by George yeah, Carlin. Yeah. There you go. Uh, everyone freaked out, of course, as one should in this situation. I mean, the CDC is obviously there to do science mm-hmm. related things and to say that they can't use words like fetus and evidence-based and science-based that seems a little it feels really 1984 to control the words that we use that are accepted by the community Mm. at large like not just people with scientific expertise but like words that lay people would use yeah it feels very bizarre yeah not even worried so much about i I worry about science-based but evidence-based the whole idea that well you, you simply can't look at the facts yeah. yeah. Never mind the scientific method. Just just look away from the evidence itself. Well, here's the thing. It, it was it was a bit of a tempest in a teapot because it turns out that this discussion of these banned words took place in a in a staff level conversation, not a scientific not a scientific staff level conversation, but a administrative staff level conversation that was preparing to discuss with legislators the budget for the CDC. So basically these were words that the staff determined they shouldn't use when presenting the budget to Congress. Mm. Um, Now that has its... So maybe it just got spun out of control when really it was maybe rooted in a discussion, it sounds like. An effort to avoid controversy or controversy, Controversy, depending on where you're from. Yeah, that's how I prefer to pronounce it. Because it could go nuclear. Yes. Yes. You wouldn't want people going off on tributaries of different... Th- anyway. Um, it would be bigly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so th- so these were... I mean, the set of words was sort of... It was suggested that they use different words to avoid offending delicate sensitive sens- sensibilities of, um, of, you know, your congressman who or congressperson who, um, you know, might be inclined not to approve budget items that included the words fetus i don't know and evidence i don't know wow yeah um according to snopes.com and various news outlets an outcry arose from this um but it really wasn't intended to guide research or how scientists wrote about or otherwise expressed Mm. um their work so i don't know i still feel like it's weird it's weird but it makes a little more sense now it it's not it's what scientists do they they negotiate resources and the way that they do their work in order to achieve their ultimate goal of helping people and making discoveries so now i under it's still sad but that's a little different than them being given a list of words they can't use although the outcome is the same ultimately like the nature of their work is changing in response to an unreasonable and emotionally driven environment which yeah. is bad that's bad. It, it does wind up shaping the, the debate if you're having to sort of sand the rough edges off of even your proposals to funders, even if it's the Congress, um, then, yeah, you're, you're lurching toward that sort of 1984 environment. Double plus on good. Yeah. That was perfect. No contribution, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is a kid's nice, never coming back. Just a, it's just a nice <laughs> challenge where we all just need to get out of the thesaurus and find some new work. Oh, no. yes, as a journalist, <laughs> as a writer, you were also a writer uh, yes. in your previous life, Paul. What, yeah. what did you previous life? Well, he's I mean, he's a non traditional PA, so you know, what, what did you do before you uh, you came to PA land? I was a writer and editor for longer than I'd care to admit in a recorded environment. Uh, started in journalism, doing newspaper uh, stuff in San Francisco. Um, cops, needle exchanges, disaster management, some other some other stuff. Really long pieces that no one read uh, as measured by the volume of mail we didn't get at the paper after I, they were published. Was this like the San Francisco Sun-Times? Uh, SF Weekly, yeah, uh, which now is owned by whomever. Um, Michael Lacey and the guys at New Times. Um, but uh, with the dot-com boom happening just down the street, I wound up doing a lot of marketing writing and technical writing and eventually got into working for a think tank in D.C. for uh, to sort of help the Defense Department think a little further into the future and um, 
just wound up with a very odd stable of clients uh, eventually mm. and uh, decided to become a physician assistant uh, toward the end of that. So uh, cool. what, what caused you to go, you know what, I'm, I want to be a physician assistant. Where did that come from for you? Uh, well, at my relatively advanced age, uh, I made a calculation of what is the, well, let me back up slightly. I, I uh, got certified as an EMT basic in 2013, and that means that you have some basic life-saving skills and you can, you can arrest the rate at which someone is dying if you're, if you're lucky and, and skillful. Uh, but I wanted to go a little further than that because you, you, you don't know what happens to your patients once you get mm -hmm. to the emergency department. They vanish. You don't know what the outcome was. You don't get to help restore them to health. And so I thought, what, what's the most that I could do in terms of having latitude to diagnose and treat and, and help people become better in the time that I have? And um, so, again, there was a cost-benefit analysis there of how much time would it take to become a medical student versus a, uh, sorry, to become a doctor versus a nurse practitioner or a phys uh, physician assistant. And physician, physician assistant won out on uh, on that calculation. Oh. Yeah. It's a wonderful career option. I, I think at an early stage of my life when I was thinking about what to do, if someone had really emphasized the possibility of going to school for a shorter amount of time, but have just as fulfilling and meaningful a career, mm -hmm. I would have, yeah, seriously considered that. But I was sort of pigeonholed into one profession for a, from a very early age, unfortunately. But well, and, and you're going to be doing as an MSTP. It sounds like you're going to be doing the the work of developing things that the rest of us can then go and deploy and so you're you have you'll be at the leading edge of 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 uh, medicine as it as it become, turns into practice hopefully yeah. a lot of pressure make Thank it you. happen <laughs> right Thank discoweries please <laughs> What discoveries did you make today, Elaine? <laughs> oh, God, I'm so behind. I have to run. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, so d did, you, did you become an EMT basic um, and then realize that you wanted to continue on? To um, it wasn't this, enough, yeah. Yeah. It literally was not enough. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, there, there are even deeper things going on, though. Um, I, I worked for the uh, Army as a civilian overseas for about six months, maybe in 2008. And I was at a, on a very large base. I had a desk job. It was very safe and symbols manipulation based. It wasn't, you know, door kicking, guns blazing stuff. But I did spend a lot of time at the hospital at the base that I was uh, deployed to for whatever reason. And I saw how well the teams of people there worked together, how, how really tightly they worked together to take advantage of that golden hour after a soldier or, or Marine or airman is uh, injured. And I really thought, well, that's great. I'm, I'd like to be a part of a team like that someday. And, and how, can I, how can I get there? And I think that was the genesis of wanting to be an EMT. Any um, sense at this point, will you continue uh, along sort of an emergency medicine focus or... If I had my uh, preference, yeah, right now I would. But uh, if one thing has been hammered into me by other med students and PAs I've known, it's that you you don't know what's going to happen on your rotations. Yeah. Um, you, I could wind up with a fascination for psychiatry or pediatrics or yeah. something. I don't know. Yeah, we've been talking about that on our other on our occasional um, new occasional series of shows, Night Float, um, with residents and have seen a few examples at this point of people saying yeah keep your options open because you know you may think you wanted to go into family medicine and you may discover psychiatry is where you want to go i mean to um just keep keep your eye on on the other things that you could be doing and don't oh the, yourself off. the otolaryngologist you had on not too long ago who's also an uh, you know, he took several years off here and there. He didn't really want to be a doctor at all at, at one point, and he's on American Ninja Warrior. Well, yeah. that's, that's a good ad for indecisiveness <laughs> yeah. and, and then decisiveness. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's a function of, like, an evolution of what people consider to be success and happiness in life, whereas, like, maybe 30 or 40 years ago, you know, people had one job, and that's the job that they did for the rest of their lives, and that was good enough Whereas like there seems to be this new trend in like time now. I'm, I'm trying to avoid like attributing it to one generation or another because this seems to be a trend sort of across the board, across demographics, that people want 
to have the flexibility to do different things with their careers. They, you know, want to be educators, but also be practitioners or writers or, you know, do different things. Otherwise, maybe they get bored with their work or it doesn't satisfy all of their professional needs. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. I don't know what you guys think about that. I wonder if some people don't just get addicted to the training environment and the educational environment and, and with its structure and its set of goals that you can you can hit. I mean, you could become a certified financial planner and then a CPA and there's, you know, there's always another path you can train on, I think. And I sometimes wonder if it's, you know, the the um the requirements for some jobs in terms of education seem to get more um, rigorous as time goes on. Um, so for instance, you know, you could, it wasn't long, you know, you can be a, right now you could be a computer programmer, don't necessarily have to uh, do computer science. Um, but I think that's becoming, I could be wrong, but I could be totally wrong about this, but I think that's becoming less the case. People want more education, um, educational experience in order to have that career as that field matures. Um, so there's, maybe there's some of that. I don't know if you can apply that to medicine very much. No, I agree. I think too, a lot of jobs are evolving faster than you can finish training for them. Yeah. And so medicine is particularly that way. So yeah, definitely. Um, I think where I see like with a lot of my friends being in like a newer generation, um, is the wanting to be a lifelong learner and, Mm -hmm especially um, applying that to what you're doing every day. And so really like coming to wanting to have an impact and um, maybe your passion changing and the where I was very lucky to have parents where they said, you know, follow your passion, find something where you are able to be a lifelong learner and, you know, you can do a job. And if after a while you don't like it, like, find something else that you do like because you do spend so much time, um, of, of your life or in, of your day of your week, um, in that role. And like, what are you doing? Do you feel, um, that you are making an impact or feel fulfillment out of that, um, sort of thing? It's a really good point. I agree with both, both of you guys. It's the training environment. Like being a student is fun. You get to flex your muscles and learn new things and it's, it's kind of what your brain wants you to do because maybe evolutionarily you had to be constantly learning new things just to survive. So maybe it's just that evolutionary need reemerging. I think there's a lot of jobs that don't really afford that sort of flexibility where, you know, you can, you know, I think there are jobs where you get, you know, put in a certain slot and that's the slot that you're, that you're expected to fulfill. And if you want to do, you want to learn more, you know, you could, yeah, do that on your own time, but you're here to, you know, push this paper or, you know, yeah, very production focused button. Um, and that seems to many people, at least in our sphere, um, of life, sort of unfulfilling, unsatisfying. So I'm lucky I could personally, I'm lucky in that I could have been you know, I could have easily been, um, one of those people who just, you know, did my thing here at the college of medicine and that's it. But I'm lucky in that the, the student office of student affairs and, and, you know, the college of medicine in general sort of, um, is open to people doing new and different things. And so I've learned a lot from say this podcast with you guys, (laughs) stuff like that. I think a lot of people benefit from this podcast. A lot of pre-meds I know call in and ask questions that they don't always feel comfortable yeah. asking people in their immediate environment. So yeah. we don't, do we take live callers? We don't, we take, don't take live oh, callers, but I we wish. do take callers. Uh, mm-hmm. People can call in uh, to uh, three, four, seven short CT and ask us questions. If you want, if you prefer to express yourself in written form, you can get in touch with us uh, at the shortcoats at gmail.com. You could engage with us on social media and ask us questions. We will answer any question that you ask in fact so uh you know listeners go ahead and do that and uh that's that works for me because then i don't have to do as much work preparing for a show we can talk about what you (laughs) want to talk about um as i often do when i'm lazy 
and can't be bothered to think of something to talk about in the show. I'd like to give you an opportunity to put on your patient educator hat because that's a huge part of what you'll be doing as a physician and as a PA and as a just a person in medicine. And I'm oftentimes a patient. Yes. Yes. Ooh. I should, you know, if I had known you guys were going to be on the show, I should have taken advantage of this. But anyway, um, I would have broken my wrist if I'd known there was an opportunity I, I to don't, be I cared don't for here. I don't think that's Your dedication wise. is awesome. Yes. <laughs> I feel like Yahoo Answers is where people's medical curiosity ends up in a place where they can ask them anonymously and not be judged and, and get kind of the basic information. Yeah, that but that for. is not what you get. Unfortunately, when you yeah. post your that may be what you were uh, what you were interested in. I'm happy to judge. I mean, if uh... good, I think all the pregnancy related ones are the kind of the most shocking. Pregnant, yeah, pregnanters. Pregnant <laughs> are people asking questions about whether they might be pregnant, how they might become pregnant. Yeah, and really? and the. Like all the different ways you can imagine the word pregnant itself being misspelled <laughs> is on there. It's amazing, actually. You know, vowels that don't belong there, consonants that don't belong there. And so it's, um, it's sad and funny, but it's sad. Kate, Chris, feel free to put yourselves in a doctor's shoes and do your best to answer these questions with us. Will do. Or comment on what you hear or maybe ask questions of them. Sure thing. You know, uh, listeners, we're definitely not providing medical advice here. Uh, so do not be like people who ask medical questions and Yahoo answers. Go see a damn doctor. This is for entertainment only, entertainment. not for educational purposes. Oh, and whatsoever. marginally entertaining content at, yeah. at, at that. This, this whole segment is really just an indictment of our education system actually <laughs> yes. it's a pr campaign for better funding for our public schools let's start with the first question all my friends slap each other's necks all the time and they think it's really funny i never hit them but they always slap my neck really really hard i laugh it off and don't say anything but i'm always really worried about it they slap my neck with all their strength and it sometimes gives me headaches and makes me feel fuzzy for a bit. My question is after getting smacked at least once a day like that for a year cause any damage. <laughs> I get really worried about my neck and spine, but I don't want to say anything without sounding like a wuss. And please don't say I need to find new friends or tell them to stop because I just can't. Mm. Thanks. You're welcome. We're... <laughs> We're here it's to so answer. Sad. I know we're here to answer your neck slapping related questions, uh, whoever you are. I I want to know um, at what angle and at what velocity and at which location, yeah, which vertebral along the level? Neck. Yeah, exactly. Is it the back of the neck? Is it the front of the neck or the side? Because all of the, the front of the neck would be. Yeah. I mean, they're all pretty tragic. I mean, are they chopping the neck? Or are they like properly like you know? high surface area yeah. contacting them. I don't know. Well, they, the fact that they they slap my neck with all their strength is, you know, the guy's down to the sort of kindergarten level of, of, of being able to relate what was going on. Do we need mm. to, do we need to, uh, to ask one of you guys to allow us to demonstrate or to allow us to try <laughs> this and see how the two different ways? I don't know that they signed the release forms yeah. for, for that, Dave. Yeah. Chris? No, we'll have a crash have, test have dummy a, next time. I have a pretty petite neck, so mm -hmm. I... Yes. <laughs> yes. Chris, also has, Chris also has a petite neck. But yeah. you can slap with all your might. Oh. <laughs> why were they... Did, it, did he specify why they were slapping his neck? Was he naughty? Was it... <laughs> Well, was he being are, bad? Was, was he, he doing not, a bad yeah. thing? Was he not, Did he deserve this slap? These are his friends. So I'm, I'm assuming that they're doing this out of some like preteen or teenage like hazing ritual. I think what we really need to learn is where he lives. Is this like a colder climate? Like, oh. can he be like covering it up with some turtlenecks? Oh, so some thicker layers. Yes, yeah, so some padding around the neck. Would be a good start. Or, you know, there is a trend where people wear, you know, headphones around their neck. Uh -huh. So maybe if he does that, they won't hit them. Because you'd be like, whoa, 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 watch the hardware. I watch the beats. You know what he needs yeah. to do? Get some beats. This is actually, you have you have come up with the, you're a genius. 
spiked neck collar. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. I think that would put a, an end to this hogwash immediately. Oh, better than my exploding neck collar idea. I, w- <laughs> I bet they sell those at Hot Topic. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Finally, a reason for Hot Topic to exist. If you can really. put like, a, and if you could put like a little poison on each, on each tip, <laughs> not enough to kill people, but a, you know, enough. maybe rub a little poison you, ivy on a, each right. of the tips. Just yeah, enough yeah. to give them like a little like, hey, what the hell are you doing? Which doesn't make them look like a wuss. Yeah, and doesn't force them to get new friends. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Hmm. This is why more people should write into the shortcodes at gmail.com because we have answers to questions. They don't have to be medical questions. They don't have to be medical school questions. We will answer your life questions. We're great at this. Yes, guys. we are. All right. Let's try this next question. Uh, I'm going to. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. One time when I was seven, my sister threw a toy lightsaber at my head and I got a concussion. I still think I have a concussion. I'm 15. That's the sum total of the supposed question. Hmm. Does she have a, does, does this person, does she, I assume it's she, does this person have a concussion at 15 years old, uh, eight years after the initial insult? It seems unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From a lightsaber. Probably not. A toy lightsaber. Yeah. Was it wasn't she- even a real lightsaber. Yeah. Hashtag She'd have bigger Star problems. Wars Last Jedi. <laughs> gonna get in on that sweet sweet star wars publicity well was she diagnosed the first time around as having had a concussion or is this just a sort of a lay idea of uh, i've been concussed i must have a concussion Mm i haven't got a clue but that how would you how would what what would you ask the patient um what symptoms are you having yeah 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 Yeah. did she lose consciousness balance problems nausea there's a whole list of symptoms Yeah. yeah That's weird. I still think I have a concussion. Well, I suppose it's possible. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Megan? Um, Megan McDowell uh, has had who who is our uh, learning communities coordinator here. She she says that she's had numerous concussions throughout her life, just from living life. Uh, wow! Like been diagnosed with many concussions. What kind of life is she living that she's, she's very getting concussed? Sportive. She's a very oh. sportive person. Uh, that took a way less dark turn where I yeah. thought... Yeah, they, <laughs> like for instance, she wasn't getting constantly slapped on the neck <laughs> or hit with toy lightsabers. We're just part of a, part of a bad group of friends, yeah. clearly. We should probably have invited her to discuss this particular issue because she knows a lot about you know, dealing with concussions. Hmm. Well, okay, let's try this next one. All right, so I was microwaving a pizza and when it was done, it accidentally dropped on the floor kitchen, to my bad luck, the ham cheese side. (laughs) But since I was really hungry and didn't want to throw it away and I picked it up during like three seconds, I just ate it. And the floor was clean. Am I dumb? (laughs) (laughs) You were well within the limits of the five second rule. Exactly. That's right. Although eating it instantly when it was still hot might have caused some problems. Well, well yes, you could have burned your your tongue. It would have been very bad. Yeah. That's probably the worst thing you did. Yeah, it was just not blow on it. You know, there is some evidence that the five second rule is crap. Uh, especially when you're talking about um, slimy or... Not slimy, but you know, greasy or moist foods. You know, if yeah. you drop a cracker on the floor, yeah, it's probably going to pick up fewer germs than if you drop the ham and cheese side <laughs> of your pizza, for instance. Didn't MythBusters jump into that topic too? I'm certain. I, I, I remember something like that. Yeah, about the five second rule. Yes. Uh, so this, I think, it just kind of depends on like where did you drop the pizza? Is this in like your freshly cleaned kitchen floor? You said it was Is clean. It- and so, it was kitchen, so clean. But there's a distinction between clean kitchen floor non-traffic areas and clean kitchen floor high traffic areas. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And what's the his cleanliness level? His yeah. Or her, and guess. what? Yeah. What does clean mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does he wear his shoes inside the house? Mm-hmm. In that case, had he just visited a farm? 
That's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All really good questions. Is he a, uh, a sewer repairman? Does he have pets? Does Right. <laughs> what kind of pets? Are they in enclosures? Yeah. Are they slimy? Does yeah. he have... <laughs> Are they housebroken? <laughs> Are your yes. Mm. All right. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's going to be fine. I've eaten many things off of the floor. If I were to guess, I would say he's going to live. Yeah. Mm. He might get a little. He might get a little. You know, sick. Don't do it if you're on a cruise ship. There's been another round of norovirus cruise ship stories. I don't. I would never go on a cruise at this point. Yeah, I'm not. I the idea never appealed to me to be stuck in a place I couldn't leave if I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> Aline is always about an exit strategy. She she needs to like know how she's going to escape. <laughs> always. Yes. I always and I always sit with my back to a wall. Yep. I do the same thing. The gunslinger. Thank you. Preferably to the door. You know, see your face in the door. Yeah. That's, that's the gunslinger position. Yep. You gotta mm -hmm. Always have your back to the door. What about you, Kate? You feel comfortable? Uh, since your back is to the door right now? I feel okay. Somebody could, okay. Do you feel safe? Yeah. Okay. I feel pretty safe. Good. I don't know. I don't, you know, sleep with a baseball bat. Okay. So you I don't have to worry about us. I promise you that. Yeah. Well. It's all those other people. Yeah. I got another question here for you. This is going to sound crazy, <laughs> but when I was around seven-ish, I stepped on a rock and it embedded itself very deeply and my head into my foot. At that age, I was very afraid of the doctor. So instead of telling anyone, I walked through the pain, and eventually the skin on the bottom of my foot grew over the rock. I hadn't given much thought to this since elementary school. I am now a sophomore in college, but I recently started taking ballet classes, and sometimes when I flex and point my foot, I can feel the rock. It's not painful, but still strange. Looking at the bottom of my foot, you can see through my skin a little gray dot, and when I flex my foot, you can definitely feel the rock through my skin. My question is, should I see a doctor about this? It's been over 10 years and it hasn't caused me any trouble. Well, how much does he like ballet is the question. <laughs> I feel... Yeah, it's a good question. Right? I mean, if you can get away with not... What? How does this happen? Why doesn't the body say, oh, I guess this is the... I guess this is the... This is the what's the word I'm looking for? The, the response to the pizza thing. Like, if you can get a rock in your foot and it doesn't cause you to lose your foot later i think the pizza is going to be fine i agreed i agreed yeah it is surprising that the body isn't just like this doesn't belong here let's <laughs> just push this right back out right but apparently not i guess it just like grew around it full disclosure i actually stabbed myself with a pencil when i was a kid and We've a piece of lead or graphite i guess embedded itself in my hand and i asked a doctor about it a couple of years later and he said it's Probably not going to affect you. So I'm hoping it was graphite-based and not lead-based. <laughs> yes. I hope the rock is graphite-based and not Yeah. But I'm not plieing on my hand either, so I... <laughs> yeah. How many of us have stabbed ourselves in the hand with a pencil when we were in uh, grade school or at some point? Don't not you me. Guys? No? I have two. I, have, I, I was have a very thing. sheltered kid. The same thing. I'm certain that somewhere on my body there's a piece of pencil... Stuck in there somewhere. <laughs> your your body is home to probably many pieces of, right. of I'm, graphite. I'm riddled with pencil lead. I did staple my finger once. Oh, yeah, we've all been there. That's yeah. painful. That hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was dared. And, you did. And At least I did it on that. You did this recently, didn't you? Yes, within the last week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well. well the, the Darwinian challenge can renew itself at any moment. It's yes. amazing. <laughs> Um, I've been learning how to use a brad nailer uh, recently. It's not a steep learning curve, but you know, I'd never an, an air driven brad nailer, and I'm terrified <laughs> that I'm going to put a little teeny tiny brad nail through my thumb. So I'm being real careful about that. Hmm. All right, uh, let's see. We got another question here. Kate, stop <laughs> trying to peek at my notes. Those are for producers' eyes only, That's obviously. Right. Mm. So my friend shot his shoeless foot with a nail gun, then took the nail out with a hammer, and after he put very strong super glue in his foothole and continued working. What are your thoughts on this brave dude? <laughs> As usual, not quite a medical question. What are our thoughts on this brave dude? Oh, 
I think you can, can't you get poisoning from the substances in the glue if they get into your bloodstream? That would be my first thought. Yeah, the solvents are probably super toxic, but then they evaporate it almost instantly. Potentially. The, the uh the super glue is a uh, as I the the lore that's in my head is that super glue was invented in the Vietnam era as a sort of emergency wound closure thing. Um, really? Yeah. I think that's true. I could be wrong about that. But uh yeah, I don't I don't imagine that you know, the super glue you can pick up in the hardware store is the best kind of super glue to use. You can use it in a pinch though. Yes. Seriously. Yes. Um there are medical super glues. I've had yeah. scalp lax closed with them that yeah. didn't require sutures or anything. Yeah. Stitches rather. Hmm. Um I don't recommend using it to as a as a doctor, I don't recommend using it to close <laughs> your foothole with it according to my medical degree that i got from the from, show er from listening to other medical <laughs> students and pas i don't recommend this but I, the, the nice detail in that story was the use of the hammer to remove the nail which is <laughs> probably shockingly painful at every kind level of a ba- this guy's kind of a badass yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i wonder if that one i wondered if the same technique could be used to remove a rock from the bottom of your foot <laughs> <laughs> That is a good question. I'll defer that question to somebody who knows more. Um, let's see. Here's one. Agree or disagree? Everyone farts. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. Yes, yeah. clearly. Yeah. All right. We can, we can dispense with that question pretty quickly. Agree <laughs> or disagree? Who's going to disagree? Yeah. Never farted in my life. <laughs> I just absorb it back into my body. <laughs> That's how bodies work. <laughs> All right. Last question. I accidentally got antifreeze on my lips. Will it evaporate over time? <laughs> <laughs> this. <laughs> All right. This this happens to me from time to time in lab. And what? <laughs> like, I'll, I'll just be like washing something or I'll be pouring a liquid into another liquid. And then like the tiniest tiniest dot of the liquid will splash up out and then land on my face what kind or of on liquids my are we talking about here i mean sometimes they're you know bleachy liquids okay. but they're so dilute and you know everything we do in our lab is you know bsl one basically bsl two it's just like out on the bench top that's biosafety level one yeah so like super low risk right yeah. but like occasionally like something will land on my lip and i'll have to, and i'll like I know everything's going to be okay. It's completely fine. But I'll run over to our live editor and be like, can you look this up real quick right now? Just, can you just Google it? <laughs> Am I going to die? What's going on? Let me, let me ask you another question. Do you leave it there to evaporate? I, I, well, usually I lick it off, you know, because that's the sensible <laughs> thing to do. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I have somebody else lick it off. Yeah. <laughs> Someone, uh, you know, with a questionable medical history, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I will immediately, you know, wipe it off and then like flush the area with tons of water. Um, and as I'm, you know, flushing, I'll be like, can you just look this up? Shh, can you just please look this up on the internet? So, yeah, that does happen. Um, I would wipe it off. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't leave it up to, um, you know, whatever the properties of that liquid is to get rid of it for you. I yeah. would. I would get yeah. rid of that. Antifreeze is not supposed to evaporate very quickly. It yeah, can be a very long wait. You know. mm. I'm just oh, imagining, like, I did not look at whether there were answers to this question, but I'm just imagining, like, if no one answered this question, this guy's, like, still sitting there with antifreeze <laughs> on his lip. Like, Staring sullenly at his computer screen. I still don't know if it's, it's going to evaporate. <laughs> still Why won't anyone evaporated. help me? I need help. All right. Well, I think that's the last question we have from... Uh, from Yahoo Answers today. I hope we've helped these people who definitely aren't listening. Uh, and who says, who very much need help. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. These people need help. That is all we have for our show today. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, Chris and Kate, how did you feel about your participation today? Fantastic. Fantastic. You know, I just, I think it was such a privilege Loved it was, wasn't it? Yes, it really was. Um, I would love to come back. You know, I feel like I've learned so much. Um, I'm not sure how much I've taught the listeners. That's all right. But that's yeah. all right. I think Chris was quieter than you were, which actually I was. Me. Yeah. 
<laughs> I thought Chris was going to be the loud mouth and you were going to be the quiet one. No, sometimes you have to separate that role from listener to participant because I kept getting wrapped up in what was being said. I'm like, oh, I should probably chime in once <laughs> in a while. That's fine. Care. <laughs> it's and, all good fun. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you, Paul, for your participation for the first time. I hope you'll be back. Sure. Nice to have you on the show. Aline, I hope that I see you again before you graduate. I'm sure you will. I'm okay. sure you will. Okay. Yeah. Even uh, if I'm just running through the hallway with something on my face that I have to go Google, I will I will wave yeah. to you. Yes. I promise. Uh, <laughs> if you have something you'd like to tell us, uh, get in touch with us at theshortcoats at gmail.com. Call us at 347-SHORT-CT. You can join our Facebook group, uh, The Shortcoat Student Lounge, where you can talk about whatever you want. And uh, we'd just love to interact with our listeners and and know that we're helping in some way, not just being uh, silly attention seekers. Uh, the show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox, and our closing music is, is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Mm-hmm.